We're heading to Bay of Plenty now to find out about a project helping farmers move towards a greener footprint. Fifteen farmers have been involved in the three-year Lighthouse Farm project so far. Here's producer Leah Tebbett to tell us more. I met Waihee Estuary. It snakes behind the beachside town of Pukahina before bulbing out to the low-lying land where it's fed by brown rivers that better resemble streams. It stands as one of the country's most polluted estuaries where many native plants, fish and bird life struggle to survive. We're down at the Pukahina Beach and the estuary, the Little Waihee estuary, which is at the bottom of three rivers that can't flow into that estuary, and that's the Pongakawa, the Whareri and the Kaikokapu all come down into this estuary. It drains an hydrological area of about 34,000 hectares that starts up right at the headwaters are springs that come out into the middle of the catchment from Lake Rotawiti and Rotawehu. That's Dr Alison Jews. Since the beginning of 2021, she has led the community catchment group Waikukapu. The vet, farmer and ecologist has been working with over 40 farmers to restore health to the estuary. We've got really intensive land use here. So mainly down the bottom here we've got the dairy farms. There's about... 11 to 13,000 hectares of dairy farms. Presently there's only about 58 dairy farms. There were about 75 when we first started this catchment program three years ago. And there's about 2,000 hectares of horticulture, which is pretty intensive as well. And the balance would be forestry, bush, urban areas, and um, sheep and beef in the mid to upper catchment as well. So what did this estuary... How big was this estuary at one point? Yeah, I mean, those are things before, well before my time. I would imagine that a lot of this lower land here below State Highway 2 was all just a wandering wetland, really, where these rivers would just run free. At the moment, these rivers have all, are all augmented into straight lines uh, with stop banks holding, sort of, you know, holding them together in the lower areas. And the... The lowland is all drained, effectively used for dairying mainly, and um, the drains also make their way into the estuary. I suppose it's all part of trying to make the most economic use of the land available, and this is all around New Zealand, isn't it? Going back to the start of the project, you did a lot of water testing. You mentioned that you actually lived down here for a couple of years to test the water every and the shellfish every two weeks or so. What were you finding at that stage? What was the state of things? And not, a, not in a good state at all, which is probably not atypical of a lot of estuaries around New Zealand, and this is one of the five most degraded estuaries in New Zealand. The Regional Council fortunately had done catchment modelling where they had made some assumptions around the loads of nitrogen and phosphorus and E. coli coming from the surrounding land areas into the estuary and what degree of reduction would be required to get the estuary and surrounding waterways into a moderate state of health. And it indicated that E. coli loads need to come down by about four to five times, that nitrate load would need to come down by about 70% and phosphorus down by about 30% and sediment reductions wherever we can do that. So we did two years of water testing as well at the beginning of our catchment period and we were testing shellfish flesh as well as all the rivers coming into the estuary and it really just validated what a poor state 
was in. We thought, do we keep spending money on continuing to test when you know the trends aren't really improving? And this will take a couple of generations to fix. We've just got to accept that. And we probably need a reasonable amount of land use change to improve things as well. Mm, so the shellfish, is it viable for them to be eaten in this estuary? No, not at all. We've never found it to be safe for human consumption. Mm. But this was once a major food bowl for the area or the coastal Bay of Plenty in general, wasn't it? Absolutely. Now if we just think about the 34,000 hectare catchment that I've just described, starting at the Rotorua Lakes and making their way down to the coastal Bay of Plenty, if we really did a budget to say, hey look, we want everything remediated in here and probably the lower 3,000 hectares to be reverted back to a wetland, and maybe it could have some economic benefit with whitebait farms or other things like that, but we haven't quite sort of sorted that out yet. But of the 34,000 hectares, when we did a budget on remediating the whole area, it was more to the tune of 60 million and we've really only had three million to just work with farmers and um, plant some of the vulnerable areas in the catchment. The project was funded by MPI. The group secured $1.45 million through the Jobs for Nature Fund, but that has since run its course and is now relying on local philanthropic groups. What have you managed to achieve? Because you only started in sort of February 2021, wasn't it? Yeah, probably raised awareness of how big the problem is. And as you know, it takes time for people to get their heads around how big the problem is, what needs to change, and how long it's going to take to change. But what we have been really heartened by is some of these good farmers that we've worked with, once they knew their baseline of, you know, the nitrogen leaching and um, some of the steeper slopes that maybe were causing them more trouble than they were worth and their phosphorus losses as well, and they knew the degree of reduction eventually that was required. Some of them have made very rapid change. Uh, some of them have identified all the steep slopes that they want to take out, constrain their milking platforms to look at um, how they can have alternative income streams. We've just tried to wrap around specialists that can help these farmers explore a journey of change. and. Many of them have made change. It's just a pity that the project has ended within three years. I've ventured up the road to Pongakawa, a mere 10 kilometres to Paul Hickson's farm. He's one of the farmers involved in the project. We're at the top of the hill looking over some of your native plantings, but could you tell me what is the farm and how big it is, first of all? Oh, well, it's not that big. <laughs> it used to be about 100 hectares, of, or 130 hectares, and then the family broke it down. So now we've got about uh, 80 effective hectares of dairying, including some lease. Of, we lease off my brother and a thing I'm in with my sister, and uh, we've got about 13 hectares of fruit. We've got about 20 avocado trees for a bit of diversification. We've got uh, a wetland of about one hectare and we've got native planting on this hillside. I think it's about two hectares. Plus there's also riparian planting. Young, uh, over there you see there's a Punani stream. We've done all that ourselves. And we've got riparian planting along other smaller streams on the farm. One thing about the planting I think is quite satisfying is when you do it yourself though, and when I do it with the children and grandchildren, they come and see it a couple of years later. 
And they say, I did that granddad, or I did that dad. And there's a sense of satisfaction about it. You've already described how where it is and how big it is, but there's a lot to take in. All the different trees, you've got um, different shrubs and flaxes and even a pond that sits in the middle of it. Like, it is a beautiful place to be, and it's only about three years old, so it's only going to get better. Well, I hope it's going to get better. <laughs> and we planted some few interesting species. We've got prurine things, and we've got something called swamp miry. They're quite an interesting species. We've got totara along the top here, and it'll probably get rimu as well. So what was the purpose or the reason behind changing it from, from this little bit of area anyway to native planting? My brother really got more interested in environmental things, and then Waikakapu came along, and the steepness of the slope and for daring it, Originally we are just going to do half of the area we see in front of us and the rest is going into a pasture but again we saw it was too steep mm. and we thought oh, we'll plant the whole lot of natives so we thought we'll do two things, one reduce the bad effect of uh, econo- uh, environmental effects of some of these fertiliser use and things, uh, slopes was too steep so it was natural to do the native planting and um, I'm looking forward to when the trees grow. The concept of, um, I think it started, the, thing, the Waihee estuary, Little Waihee, we used to have a batch of Bokina, and uh, when you can't get shellfish, and Tangafina can't get shellfish from what was a natural feed source, is quite terrible. Uh, the stream that runs from our farm down there, I think, had a lot of E. coli, according to my brother, early on, one of the worst places for E. coli. That all runs down to the Waihee estuary, and I think Waikakapu, by saying, well, we're going to clean up the estuary, but also work with the lighthouse farmers in the area trying to improve the environmental damage from overuse of fertiliser, etc., go to different systems of less intensive um, dairy farming, I think's all been very good. And I've learned a lot there. I mean, I'm not a where orchards fully managed, so I've got a share milk and Lex and Connor Rolleston, and I profess to have not a great knowledge in these things, but I do find going to them, you learn a little things. It's interesting in the orchard. We did the nitrogen uh, testing, you know, with the, how much nitrogen we put on with the fertilisers. I think it might be 105 kg, so you think, oh, that's all right. And they say, what compost did you put on? So we put the compost on, they look at the composition of the compost and find that the compost has as much nitrogen as the fertiliser, and this might have been the particular mix. So you're actually putting double the amount of nitrogen on that you need to. Compost is good for organic things. So those are the sort of little things you learn. Uh, one of the problems I see over the next couple of years is probably the financial, with interest rates high, lower dairy returns. It's all very well doing all this native planting, riparian plantings, but you also look at the economics of it as well. When there's pressure on through interest rates, falling commodity prices, you've got to, there has to be a balance. Mm. So I suppose in terms of native planting things, you want to make hay while there's sunshine and do it when you've got good commodity prices. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't think it's too hard. So we're actually doing things that are good for the environment, but it's also going to have a, a positive economic impact. We've got to do it. It's good for everyone. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, I think we've all just got to embrace change and um, I think what we're doing and what a lot of farmers are doing is wonderful for farming and the country and I wish the positive things that farmers were doing we got more publicity but when I look at what the lighthouse farmers are doing in the area I think there's 17 of us, what Kwat Waikopku have done it's a very good role model for every other farming area in New Zealand and I wish the city people would sort of learn more about what we're doing and what we've done.
because we're great. And we might drive a diesel truck, <laughs> but on that diesel truck, there's often three or four hundred plants sitting there that we're going to plant that morning with my grandchildren. So we can't have everything. Mm. We've got to balance. I decided to call Pim Dimonshi of the Regional Council to hear his view on the situation. Waihi Estuary is currently in a degraded state, um, both ecologically and in terms of being able to meet human health and recreation needs. The state of this estuary, is this common across many estuaries in the coastal Bay of Plenty? No, this one and Makatu Estuary, just to the west, are the two most degraded estuaries in the region and they need substantial changes from the status quo in order to be restored to at least a moderately healthy state. It's the intensity of the land use, that's what's led to the the degradation of the estuaries. There is a wetland being constructed nearby the Waihi estuary? Yes, that's right. So um, recently council bought uh, one of the dairy farms on Cutwater Road, where I'm selling about three quarters of that farm to a neighbour who will continue dairy farming on it. But we're retaining ownership of 30 hectares, and that will be uh, co-owned by regional council together with the uh, iwi collective Te Wahapu or Waihi, and we're currently in the process of co-designing a mixture of wetlands on that 30 hectares. So we're thinking at the moment that about a third of it, it will be constructed as a treatment wetland and around two-thirds of it will form natural coastal wetlands more for biodiversity and uh, cultural purposes. And while that's obviously good to have something happening in that way, do you think it's a big enough amount of land to sort of make an impact? It's definitely big enough to make an impact for the 471 hectares of land that feeds into that 30 hectares. Um, NIWA recommends that uh, catchments set aside 2-5% to of their area for treatment wetlands in order to reduce contaminant loads by up to about half, which is quite a significant step. But obviously it's not big enough to treat the water from the 35,000 hectare catchment. So um, a number of other initiatives are needed as well. I also asked Dr Jews what her blue sky vision was for the estuary and the land that surrounds it. The land in this catchment, the three or 4,000 hectares here, is typical of what we'd see right down the coast here to Whakatane. You know, there may be six or 7,000 hectares uh, down this coastal Bay of Plenty that will eventually need to change, especially with climate change, more frequent weather events. These straightened rivers act like high-pressure hoses because they, they're not allowed to just wander their way down to the coast, even when there are high water flows. You know, our farmers have had a really hard time this year. It's been Their farms, the low-lying farms, have been really heavily bogged. They're probably saying as well, what do I do on this farm? So what we do need is an independent group to explore those things and say how could this land best be used and what should it look like in 2030. And it might be that, yes, we do have to grow fibre, we can do aquaculture down here, maybe we need a little seaweed farm. I understand there's a whitebait farm that's just started in the bottom of the South Island We need to be giving farmers a way to transition from what they have been doing for 50 or 100 years to say, yes, the world's changed, yes, the land's changing, and yes, we do need a food system that's appropriate for the well-being of all, and what does that look like? 
Dr Alison Dews ending Leah's story. You also heard from farmer Paul Hickson and Pim DeMonchi of the Bay of Plenty Regional Council. The project will be able to continue for another year with financial support from Bay Trust and TECT, Trust's funding community projects in the region.